It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. In verse 48 of this chapter, Jesus makes this declaration, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They weren't literally asking, How is he going to do that? Is he going to barbecue it? Is he going to broil it? Is he going to... They weren't asking that. They were, they were asking, how can this be? This is an abomination. The very thought that he would give us his flesh, that we would partake of flesh, is an abomination. It's unthinkable. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live. Because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue there at Capernaum. And it said in verse 60. Therefore many of his disciples. When they heard this said. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? What is this guy talking about? We don't understand what he is telling us. We don't understand why he is saying these things. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Does this offend you? What is it about Christ that offends us? I submit to you that there are, in all of us, things that offend us. There are offenses that we have taken up. And Jesus... I believe as he did so many times, is just, he's pulling back the sheets, man. He, he says, I'm going to expose you for who you are. God refuses to allow us to live hidden, unexposed lives. I mean, we can for a time. When you read the scripture... From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that God continually exposed His people for who they are. Even the writer of Hebrews declares that the the living Word of God, the Word of God is living and sharp as a two-edged sword. What does it do? It it goes down to the very very morrow. It, It divides and it opens up and exposes even the intentions of our heart. I mean, you can fool yourself, you can fool people, but you can't fool God. And here's the the wonderful thing. God loves us enough that God will not allow us to remain in that state. Whether we're lying to ourselves or we're lying to other people, and we're lying to God. 
He won't, he won't allow it. Now, I've been talking about discipleship over the last several weeks. And, you know, um, if I took a survey here today, anonymous or not, whether it was a secret ballot or whether I had you raise your hands, if I just asked the question, who wants to be a disciple of Christ? Chances are you would all raise your hands. But, but we really need to ask ourselves, do we really understand what we are declaring when we say, I'm a disciple of Christ? Jesus challenged his disciples and he challenges us in the Gospels, for instance, in Luke 16 and uh, or in Matthew 16 and Luke 9, Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross, let him deny himself, forsake all, and follow me. And the call to discipleship is an awesome thing. The call of God we talked about the call of God today out of, out of Timothy, out of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me just read that scripture to you. Hold your place there in John chapter 6. Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. Speaking of of God, of Christ, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us, where? In Christ. Before time began. Child of God, your calling from God was given to you in Christ before time began, the Scripture says. When we declare ourselves to be disciples, followers of Christ, we need to understand the magnitude of what that really is. We also need to understand the glory of that and the joy unspeakable that that entails. That discipleship is not just some drudgery. It's not a class or classes we take. It's not something I have to do to avoid hell. Oh no. The calling with which we have been called in Christ is so much more than just us avoiding hell. It's so much more than just coming to a building one or two days a week or taking a class and getting a certificate of completion. Or signing a covenant and saying, I'm a member now. That is, if I can use this phrase, borrowing from what Jesus is saying here, that is a carnal, it's a fleshly, it's a temporal way of thinking. How can we as the church, as the people of God, be delivered from such Temporal and carnal and fleshly ways of thinking. How can we come to begin to comprehend who we really are? I'm, I'm talking about us in this building right here. How can we come to a place to really begin to understand who we are? What has indeed transpired because of Christ? Because of what He has done. How can we begin to truly comprehend the promises and the things that He has made sure? Because He hung on a cross some 2,000 years ago and declared, It is finished. He was laid in a tomb, but He didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to the Father and He has received a kingdom that is unshakable. And we have been given that kingdom and we are in that kingdom. It is an unshakable kingdom 
what He has given us in Christ, who we are in Christ, I'm telling you, you cannot be shaken. You can't be. But if you don't know that, if you don't have a comprehension of that, if you don't see things from the right perspective, if we only hear the words of a man, and in our mind we're going, how is he going to do that? How is that possible? How can we eat his flesh? See, this is, this is a microcosm of something much larger. They were asking a specific question. How, how, does he, how will he give us his flesh? How will we eat his flesh? But the problem wasn't just trying to figure out how they were going to eat the flesh of Jesus. It's a much bigger problem. Because they only heard the words of a man with carnal ears and carnal minds. So they had no spiritual comprehension of what he was truly saying. And he even says to them, let's go on. He asked him, does this offend you? What then if I, sh what then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Where did Jesus come from? Came from heaven. Came from God. He didn't come from the earth. He came from the Father. And he's telling them here, you see me right now in the flesh, but I'm telling you what. I'm going to go back to my father. Then what are you going to think? And he's, he's trying to clue them in. He says, I'm not talking about flesh here. And then he goes on and he says this. This is an important verse. Verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, more accurately, the words I have spoken, that's really the way that is written there. The words I have spoken, why is that important? Because Jesus is not just talking about the words that he is speaking right there. The words I have spoken... When did Jesus begin speaking? What is the first recorded word we have of Jesus? That's right. Genesis 1, in the beginning, there was no light and God said, let there be light. And the scripture tells us who was the person of the Godhead that all things were created by, for, and through, it is Jesus. And he says right here, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Not just you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, but I'm telling you what, all the way back to Genesis 1, let there be light. How do you hear that? those just words on a page? Is that just a fable? Is that just a, an account of creation? Do you hear the spirit and the life when God himself declares, let there be light? Because, listen church, he wasn't just talking about lighting up the universe with suns and stars. Because the only reason he lit up the universe with stars and our solar system with the sun was so that he could one day cause light to shine out of your and my dark heart. Let there be light in the first creation spoke of let there be light in the new creation. And let there be light in the first creation is spirit and life that speaks of the light that God wants to bring 
from your heart. It's not your light. It's His light. He is the light. How do you hear the words of your Creator? How do you hear the words of your Savior? Here is the very Creator of heaven and earth standing before these Jews in this synagogue in this little village by the Sea of Galilee. And He is declaring, here is the Creator declaring, My words are spirit and they are life. The flesh profits nothing. How many people come to church week in and week out and they seek to have their flesh profited? How many of you measure your spirituality by how profitable your flesh feels? How many? Too many. This question, does this offend you? What in the Word of God is causing us to be offended? What in the Word of God is causing us to, to take pause? Because we're not hearing spirit and life. We're hearing flesh. That day, the Bible says, many walked away and followed Jesus no more. You know why? Because they only heard flesh. They didn't hear spirit and they didn't hear life. Many people have walked away from church because all they hear, all they see, and all they know are flesh. They have never heard spirit, and they have never heard life. And it might be the fault of those standing behind the pulpits preaching, I don't know. But the reality is, you will and I will personally one day be accountable to how I heard God. And I'm not going to be able to say, but God, it wasn't my fault. You know why? Because God is speaking. God is speaking. Now, He is speaking in so many ways. And He is speaking. He's speaking through the voice of men who preach the gospel week in and week out. He's speaking through His Word. And if those men, myself included, are not declaring the gospel that comes from this word, there is no profit in it. But what is it that we are wanting to hear? What were those people wanting to hear? Not what Jesus had to say. Does this offend you? Jesus declares this in verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would not, and who would betray him. And he said in verse 65, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. How did you come to Jesus? You came because the Father granted that you would come. Now, however you want to slice and dice that, I don't really care, but the bottom line is what Jesus said is true. It stands as truth. And this goes back to the point of the gospel. This goes back to what Jesus is saying here. It's very important that we understand the flesh Profits nothing, and that's good news. Because what is the condition of our flesh? The Bible says the flesh is sinful. So we want to we develop programs and classes to do what? To turn sinful flesh into non-sinful flesh. To turn flesh into spirit. Sorry, you can't do it. You can't turn flesh into spirit. Flesh will never become spirit. Flesh will die. Flesh will pass away. It must pass away. Flesh cannot, will not ever inherit the kingdom of God. It won't do it. That's why Jesus said, don't fear death. Death is just your flesh ceasing to exist. But who you truly are, 
that man born again of the Spirit. That man can never die, can never pass away. That is spirit, and that is life. And that's what we're called to as disciples. Verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. You notice what the scripture calls them. They were his disciples. They were his followers. A disciple simply means a learned follower. These guys were disciples of Jesus, but they turned around They walked away and followed him no more. Now, what were they hearing up until that point? They heard the same thing the twelve heard. They heard the same thing all the other disciples heard. I mean, they were there before they walked away. They were there and saw the the loaves and the fishes multiplied. They were there and they, they heard the Sermon on the Mount. They were there. They heard all of these things. But did they really hear? They heard a man. They heard flesh. They saw a man. They saw flesh. They liked what they heard, I guess, because they kept following him. They liked what they saw because they kept coming after him. But, But one day, Jesus said something that they couldn't understand, that they couldn't deal with, and they became offended And it says they followed him no more. Now, believe it or not, this really is good news. The good news is, for all of us, there will come some point in time in our life, I believe, I believe this is true for every believer, there will come a point in time in your life when when God will deal with you in such a way that you're going to have to you're going to have to deal with the reality of this flesh. And how did Jesus deal with the flesh? Well, he crucified it, right? How does he deal with our flesh? He crucifies us too. He was crucified so that we could too be crucified with him. He died so that we too could die with him. He was Raised so that we too could be raised with Him. But that's not just a one-time deal. I believe as disciples, there are layers. I mean, when you got saved, I mean, did you just like, that's it? It's a done deal? I mean, in a sense, it is a done deal. But that's not the end of the work, is it? I mean, Jesus finished the work on the cross. But the work in us and the work through us, our comprehension of it really just begins when we come to realize that I need to be saved by grace through faith in the Son of God. There is no other way for me. However you come to that realization of salvation, your need for salvation, that's not the end of the work. That's the beginning of your comprehending the work. That's not even the beginning of the work. God did a work before time began just to get you to that point when you would say yes to Jesus, when you would bow your knee and bow your heart to Him. But I'm telling you what, God caused you to be born. He caused you to live. He caused you to go places, and he caused all kinds of things to happen to bring you to a point, to bring the series of events in your life to the place where you one day consciously said, hey, I need Jesus. And if I don't don't accept him, I'm lost. I mean, if I can say it this way, that's just when we begin to comprehend. In any measure of fullness, what what God has been doing. I mean, I got saved July 19th, 1984, in East Austin. What did it take to get me to that house in East Austin on that 
day back in 1984. What did it take? Think about what it took. Think about my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents and all the answers. Think about what it took just to get me in that place. What did it take to get you in this place today? What are the series of circumstances that took place over the course of centuries just to get you in the seat that you're sitting in today? Who did that? You didn't do that. God did that. He did that. He did that because the Father granted that you would come to know the Son. How? How do we Listen, disciples, there's three, there's three things that, that are very key to Christian discipleship. You know there's lots of disciples. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to be a disciple, right? You can be a disciple of Buddha. You can be a disciple of, of you know, Joseph Smith. You can be a disciple of uh, Krishna. You can be a disciple of, you know, that tree out there if you want to. It doesn't matter. But if you want to be a disciple of Christ... There's three fundamental things that the Bible calls us to do. That that we need to be. We need to be abiding in Christ. We need to be learning of Him. We need to be following. These are all basic in discipleship. I mean, where, where are you abiding? Where were these people, when Jesus said these very offensive words, where were they abiding? I mean, they were, they were, man, they were just in the world. They were just in the flesh. They weren't thinking because they couldn't. Did Jesus know they couldn't? He knew they couldn't. He knew they wouldn't. Did Jesus know that he was going to offend them? He absolutely knew he was going to offend them. Look what he says to his disciples. He says, do you also want to go away? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. At that point, Peter recognized that. And he says, besides that, you are the Christ, the Son of of the living God. How did Peter come to know that? Well, back in Matthew 18, Jesus tells him, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. That was not a word from the flesh. That wasn't your mind just figuring out who I am. He said, my Father in heaven. Who is the Father in heaven? Jesus said, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, Peter, the spirit has revealed that to you, my Father in heaven. By the Spirit has revealed that to you for you to know who I am. I read a quote the other day that says of the, of the American church that the American church doesn't need the Spirit of God. And I think in many ways we've come to a place where we've got this church thing figured out. That whether we would admit that or not, in many ways, I mean, if we need something, we'll just go to the bookstore and we can wade through the volumes of titles to help me with my specific problem. But here's the thing, church. We'll never get it to a place, no matter how proficient we may get it to run, no matter how well the formula seems, no matter how good we have it all lined out step by step, we can do nothing apart from the Spirit of God. We cannot hear anything without the Spirit of God. We cannot know anything without the Spirit of God. 
And if we become like these followers of Jesus who only want to be able to understand and experience in the flesh the things that God is, is communicating to them. The fish tasted really good. The bread was really good. It was really cool to see how, how, how all of that was multiplied. Man, I want to see that again. Only by the Spirit of God can His words become for us spirit and life. Only by the Spirit of God can this word become to you spirit and life. You can read it every day. You can become legalistic. You can think that the more you read it, the more blessed you're going to be. And it can become some magic formula for you. But it won't be spirit and life. You can come and take communion every week, come to the table, but if we don't discern by the Spirit of God what that bread and what that cup represent, then it will be just an empty symbol. You can come to this place week in and week out, and you may or you may not get anything out of what you hear and what you experience, but I'm going to tell you what, it's not. It is about whether you are hearing, seeing, and discerning what is Spirit and what is life. Not my words, but His Word. Who are we? We are the body of Christ. We are the very thing that that table symbolizes. We're the very thing that that Jesus was talking about when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they couldn't understand it. Well, why do I have to go to church? Well, why do I have to give? Well, Well, you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. But why do we call ourselves disciples? Or why do we call ourselves Christian? Well, I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. Really? I mean, that's a real cute saying, you know, out in the world, right? But is that really? Is that really who Christ is? Does Christ call us to love people, but I don't have to like them? Does this offend you? Jesus is asking. Is it about what we like? Or is it about Christ? And see, when I make that statement right there, you know what, where our minds go? Well, so you're saying that I just need to do things whether I like it or not. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, here's what I'm asking. Why do we feel compelled that 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 is our option? Well, if I want to go to heaven, I guess I have to endure this. Salvation shouldn't be something we endure. Oh my goodness. Church isn't something we should have to do. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and my words abide in you, you bear fruit. You are my disciples. That verse that says, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. That word continue is the same word for abide. It's the exact same word. You could, you could translate it, if you abide in my word. If we abide in Christ, are we abiding in his word? What does it mean? What does it mean to abide in him? To abide in his word. I mean, for some of us, we think, well, that means I need to have my Bible reading plan. But abiding in him and abiding in his word is much more than just your Bible reading plan. Are you abiding in Christ? Listen, church. Are you abiding in Him? Are you abiding in your heart of hearts right now? 
you know that you know that you know that you are abiding in Christ? I didn't ask you if your life was perfect, if you, if you had problems or don't have problems. I, I'm not asking you how good your behavior has been lately. I'm asking you, do you know right now, do you know without any doubt that you are abiding in Christ? And that you got there, not because you did everything right, but because the Father before time began granted that you would get there, and because Jesus made a way where there was no way. And the Spirit of God did something that you couldn't do. And you just surrendered to it. Do you know that you're abiding in Christ? Have you become one with Him? Are you bone of His bone and flesh of His flesh? Look what Jesus says here. Look at verse 57. This is really important. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Look what Jesus says. Jesus said, I live because of the Father. What does that mean? It means the same thing. Hold your place here. Let's go to John chapter 14. It means the same thing as what Jesus says here to His disciples in John chapter 14. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus said, I live. I live. Why? Because of the Father. Why? Because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. When you've seen the Father, you've seen Jesus. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not because Jesus and the Father had the same physical appearance, but because they were, in essence, in reality, in truth, they were one. And Jesus says, I live because of the Father. Because I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Now look what he says at the, at the last part of this verse. So... He who feeds on me will live because of me. Go back to John 14. Hold your place there. And look what Jesus says to his disciples. John 14 is all about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's not about the second coming of Jesus. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. And look what he says. Before the, before the resurrection, before the cross... I am in the Father, and the Father's in me. But in that day that you know that I am, that I am alive, in that day that you know that I live, at that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in the, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He says, I live because of the Father. So, too. He who feeds on me will live because of me. What does this table represent? What does that bread and what does that cup represent? It represents Christ. It represents what he did for us, what he finished for us. Paul said it this way to the Corinthians. He said, as long as you come to this table and eat that bread and drink that cup, you proclaim his death even until he comes again. John 14, Jesus is saying, listen guys, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you just like the Ark of the Covenant went three days ahead of the children of Israel from Sinai to the entrance to the Promised Land. He sent in 12 spies and for 40 days they spied out the land. They came back and you know the rest of the story. 
They believed the evil report, not the report of the two who were of faith. Just like that ark went before them three days to prepare a place of rest, he said, I'm going to go before you three days. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to come up out of that tomb three days later. And that day that you know that I live, you will live also. And even as I am in the Father, you will be in me and I will be in you. And you will live, why? Because of me. Jesus said, I live because of the Father. He who feeds on my flesh will live because of me. Have you fed on his flesh? Are you still hearing me with carnal ears? Are you hearing the words of Christ, which are spirit and are life? Have you fed on Christ? Do you abide in him? Do you know that you abide in him? Not because you come to church on Sunday, not because your name's on a membership roster, not because you walked an aisle and said a prayer, but do you know that you know that you know that you abide in him? Have you heard the words that are spirit and life? Or are you simply hearing the words of flesh from ears of flesh? Interpreted and comprehended with a mind of flesh. Where are you abiding? What are you learning? If we're disciples and we're learned followers, what are we learning? What are we learning? The natural man, Paul says, cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. This is why these guys couldn't understand what Jesus was saying here in John 6. But if we have been born again, and we are abiding in Christ, guess what? Here's the good news. You now have ears to hear, and eyes to see. You have the mind of Christ, the Bible says. You didn't get that through the power of your flesh. You got that through the power of the Spirit. And now, if you are abiding in Christ, the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11, dwells in you. And it will strengthen your mortal body. You now have victory over sin and death because of the grace of God, by the Spirit of God. What are you learning? The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Does that mean we're to be anti-knowledge? No. <laughs> no. We shouldn't be. God gave you a brain to use it. And, and there's not, listen, whatever it is you do, whatever it is you love, I mean, aren't you glad there, there, there are men who, who were bright enough to give us electricity? Aren't you glad there were men wise enough and smart enough to, to, to build airplanes for us to be able to travel in hours what it would normally take us days? I mean, aren't you glad that there are people that understand the basic laws of physics that, that enable us to be able to have running water and indoor plumbing, heating and air conditioning? Somebody had to gain some knowledge to be able to do all that. Where do you think that knowledge came from? Who do you think set all those things in motion that gave us all, all of this? God did. He created it all. He created it all. Everything that we see around us, the Bible says God created 
everything that we see that's visible from that which is invisible. And we know, Hebrews says, that God created the heavens and earth. How? By the Word of God. By the Word of God. What are we learning? As a learner, as a follower of Christ, what are we to be learning? Well, first and foremost, we need to be learning of Him. Go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 29. A very familiar verse. Let's read 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Or learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When we talk about discipleship, or we talk about the church, or we talk about Christianity, the Bible, growing in the knowledge of Christ, do you know what so many people hear? They hear anything but rest. They hear work. They hear stress. Oh man, that's just one more thing I've got to add to my plate. I've got to go to church now. Man, I don't even have time to go to work hardly. Now I've got to go to church. I see there's your first mistake. You don't gotta. You don't have to. And if you feel like you have to, you might as well stay home, right? Because if you come here only because you have to, it's not spirit and life, it's flesh and death. Does that mean we should only do the things that we want to do? No. But here's what I believe. I believe God wants us to grow to a place in Him, in the knowledge of Him, where the things that we want to do, the things that we desire to do, are the very things that He wants and He desires. When the Bible says that He'll give you the desire of your heart, that does not mean that your desire is contrary to His desire and your will is contrary to His will and you can have whatever you want because you desire it. No. What God wants to do, listen, when I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus says, I live because of the Father. Why? Because Jesus and the Father were one. Read the prayer in John 17. I pray that they would be one Father even as we are one. Was there any difference between the desire of Jesus and the desire of the Father? There wasn't. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. I don't come in my own authority to do my will. I come in His authority to do His will. Does Jesus want anything different for us? Does he want your desire, my desire, to be different from his desire? Absolutely not. So when we, when we have been given ears to hear, spirit in life, that's what we've got to begin to hear. We've got to begin to resist the things that are not spirit and not life. How are we going to do that? Well, we need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. We need to learn of Him. Right? If I don't know who Jesus... If I think Jesus is just some kook out there wanting me to begin to practice cannibalism, well, I ain't going to follow that. I'll turn around just like the, uh, the rest of those disciples did and not follow Him anymore. But that's not who Jesus is. But that's what they heard. There's a lot of people today who think Jesus is dangerous. They think this meeting here today is dangerous. But the problem is... I don't know Jesus. They only know flesh and death. They don't know spirit and life. But what do you know? How are you hearing? How are you comprehending? With the mind of Christ? So what are you learning? 
You want to know what life in the flesh versus life in the spirit is like? Go to Galatians chapter 5. Read the chapter. So where are we abiding? Are we abiding in Christ? What are we learning? Are we learning of Him? Who are you following? Do you know who you're following? Do you know the Christ that you follow? Are you going to one day hear God say something to you or read something in His Word that's going to cause you to say, Whoa, wait a minute. That offends me. I don't believe that. This is what happened to these disciples. Whoa, Jesus, wait. You had me until then. Eating your flesh, drink your blood. I ah, can't do that. That offends me. I'll just pretend like you didn't say that. Jesus says, No, I'm not going to let you pretend like I didn't say that because I did say it. Matter of fact, I'll say it again. If you want to have life, you got to eat my flesh and drink. Oh, stop saying that, Jesus. You're offending me. I don't want to hear you say that. Stop it. He says, no, I'm not going to stop it. I live because of the Father, so if you eat my flesh, you will live because of me. That's it. I'm done. Can't handle this dude anymore. I'm leaving. Jesus says, does this offend you? What happens as we're following Christ And what Christ has declared becomes offensive to us. What happens? That's a question we need to deal with. Are we going to pretend like Jesus didn't say it? We're just going to pretend like, well, I don't believe he said that. When John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus at the beginning of Matthew 11... They said, hey, Jesus, John sent us. He's in prison. He's fixing his head chopped off. He wants to know whether you are the Messiah. Are you the one that we're to look for, or is there another? And Jesus, true to form, didn't give him a yes or no answer. He said, you go back and tell John that the lame walk, the blind see. The gospel has been preached to the poor. Go and tell John that. Oh, and also tell him, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What happens when I offend you? When I offend you? Or you offend me? What do we do there? Do we say, well, I'm not offended with Jesus, I'm just offended with you. Now, follow me here, church. If we believe the words of Jesus, and Jesus says, In that day after my resurrection, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And you'll know that what I prayed in John 17, even though there wasn't a John 17 then, but what I prayed in the garden has come to pass. And you are one with me, even as I am one with the Father. That we are one together. What happens when you offend me? And I take up that offense. Can I say I'm not offended with Christ? I can say it. But until I come to you and make it right, we got an issue. Husbands, wives. And you guys can't seem to get it together and y'all are offended with each other. We just pretend like what the Bible says is not true. The two have become one flesh. No longer two, but one. We just pretend like that, that's not real. But I love God and everything's hunky-dory. But, man, I can't stand my wife right now. Can't stand my husband right now. Well, I love them, but I sure don't like them. Yeah, you try that with God. Where are you abiding? 
What are you learning? Or are you learning? Or am I just living in denial? You know, I like to live in denial a lot. But God, thankfully, in His grace, doesn't let me stay there. And I hate it when He doesn't let me stay there. Don't you? Don't you hate it when God doesn't let you stay in denial? Don't you hate it when God makes you deal with the reality of life? Sometimes, I mean, just be honest, don't you just not like it sometimes? Don't you just wish you could live in a fantasy world all the time? You know, this is really why I believe movies are so popular. And we've always had things to help us escape reality. You know, in Rome, it was the Colosseum and the Gladiators. Now we just go to the movies or rent them on pay-per-view or go to Redbox or, you know, watch reruns on regular TV. I don't know. But we have a whole world of people trying to escape reality because they don't want to deal with it because they'd rather live in denial. And we got people, theologians, believe it or not, who take parts of the Bible and just mutilate it and just rip it on out and say, it's just, it's really not part of the Word of God. Jesus didn't really mean that. He didn't really say that. That's not really what God means. That's just man's invention. But I love God. I believe in Him. I just don't believe in everything He said. Well, He didn't really say it. Somebody else must have said it. So we're going to pick and choose what we want to believe is true. Disciples. Are you a disciple? Disciples don't pick and choose where their leader goes. They follow the leader. Discipleship is the ultimate game of follow the leader. You ever played follow the leader? It's follow the leader, right? Who's the leader? We're all playing follow the leader. Christ is our leader. We don't get to tell Christ where he wants to go, where he has to go. He's the leader. We're going to follow him. What happens when Christ leads us someplace that we don't want to go? He told Peter that. He said, Peter, there's going to come a day when men are going to pick you up and carry you to a place that you don't want to go and do something to you that you don't want to have done. But it's going to happen. Will you follow me, Peter, even though that's going to happen to you? Well, Peter followed him. I'm going to tell you right now, child of God, disciple of Christ, God is going to lead you someplace you don't want to go, but are you willing to follow him even though he will do that? Are you willing to trust Him even when you cannot, with your carnal mind, understand what it is He is telling you? Do you trust that He has the words of life? That He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the only salvation and the only hope that we have? Do you believe that? In spite of everything around you telling you something different. I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to believe that because you got it up here, because you... You have a higher IQ than somebody else. You're not going to get it because you read lots of books. You're going to get it because the Spirit of God in you is going to help you. He's going to reveal it to you. He's going to give you the power to follow. Now, that doesn't mean, mean that you're not going to have to make some hard choices because we all have to make hard choices. Who are we going to believe? Who are we going to follow? Am I going to follow myself? Am I going to follow what my brain says? Or am I going to follow what the truth says? Well, some people say that's not the truth. Well, what are you going to say and what are you going to believe? Because the Spirit of God on the inside of you will witness to that truth. He will. I'm going to tell you what. There is a reason why God has preserved His Word for us. Not so we can... Use it to decorate our coffee tables. You're not going to get it by osmosis. I'm going to tell you what, the Spirit of God wants to reveal and illuminate this Word to you, but you're going to have to put this Word in your heart. You're going to have to do it. And it's going to have to happen more than just you coming here and hearing me quote a few scriptures on a Sunday morning. And if you don't understand how utterly dependent you are upon the Spirit of God, I suggest 
that we all begin to cry out to God and, and, and cause God to begin to reveal to us the reality that apart from the power of His Spirit, we can do nothing. And the power of His Spirit has nothing to do with how you feel in your flesh. It has everything to do with God, what God has declared, has been accomplished. He's revealed it to you in His Word. And if we persist on living based on our feelings instead of what the Word of God declares is truth, we'll continue to be deceived. If you'll honestly ask yourself this question, am I, do I know that I know that I know that I'm abiding in Christ? The Spirit of God will reveal that answer to you. And if you're not sure, if you know that you are, but you feel like you got too much doubt, then ask yourself, Lord, why do I have so much doubt in my life? Well, maybe it's because you haven't renewed your mind with this word. You have not washed your mind with the water of the Word. You allow the Spirit of God in you to wash your mind with the water of this Word. Not Pastor Jeff poured over you, not the guy on TV poured over you, but I'm talking about you getting along with God and letting the Spirit of God begin to wash your mind with the water of the Word. Are we disciples or are we not? Are we the church or are we not? Is this just a social club that meets on Sunday or are we more than that? Are we a family or are we not? Are we compatible just when we all get along and we're all doing the things each other like? Or are we bound by something greater than that? By someone greater than that? By a life other than our own? By Christ who is our life? Let's all stand. To follow Christ is to be His disciple. It is to deny self, to forsake this world, and so to receive all things in Him. See, don't think of what you're going to have to deny and give up. I want you to think of what God has given us and refused to withhold from us in His Son. Paul says in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Father, I thank you that you have given us all things in Christ. Lord, our greatest joy, whether we can see it, whether we can believe it, whether we know it right now or not, Lord, our greatest joy is in Christ. Our greatest hope is in Christ. Lord, there's not anything that is impossible in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, do a work in us and do a work through us. Lord, as we confess today to be your disciples, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us, even as you did in those that followed you when you walked this earth. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your spirit. Lord, you haven't withheld anything from us. You've even given us your very spirit and the very life of your son. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to have hearing ears and seeing eyes. Open the eyes of our understanding. Open our hearts, God. I pray that, Lord, you would deal with the offense 
that we take up, whether it be toward you or whether it be toward one another. I pray, God, that you would help us to be a people that would refuse to live in denial, that we would deal with truth and the reality of who you are and what you have called us to be and who you've called us to be in Christ. That, Lord, we would indeed be the salt of the earth, the light set upon a hill, manifesting the life of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. And Father, I pray that you would reveal to us how desperate we are to do anything through the power of the flesh. For there is no power in the flesh. There is only the power of the Spirit. You have not withheld your Spirit from us. And I pray, Father, that you would begin to reveal the unlimited power of your Spirit that resides on the inside of us by the grace of God in Christ. Lord, we ask this to your glory. This is the chief end of all things, that you would be glorified in and through your church. We ask this, Father, in the name above all names, and everybody said, Amen. Come on, give the Lord a good hand. If you want prayer for healing, for anything going on in your life, please, please come. And we will pray with you. We had a great time of prayer Wednesday night at the uh, uh, first Wednesday prayer. And we prayed and ministered with a number of people. So please put that on your calendar the first Wednesday of every month. Come out. We have a great time of worship and prayer and ministry. So, but if you're